Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're discussing Star Trek Prodigy, Season 1, Episode 6, Kobayashi. So, first piece of good news, I am completely sober, and I have a cup of coffee beside me. Second piece of good news, there is no poetry in my heart whatsoever. Third piece of good news, Prodigy is back, and I love it. Prodigy is back, and we love it! I didn't realise what a relief it would be to take a break from the large-scale doom and gloom and tension of Discovery. 100%. And it's so funny because we were complaining about a lack of tension and then to have it broken and to go back to this story, which is still very intense but pitched at a different audience, was a real relief and a real joy. I think the reality is that Discovery, even when it's low tension, is still super tense. Yeah. Super intense, even. And Prodigy, even just because it's so colorful, that one difference between the real darkness Mm. of Discovery and the overwhelming color of Prodigy, it's a completely different feeling while watching it. Yes, and I absolutely trust that none of these kids are going to die or suffer terrible injury and the trauma that they suffer along the way will serve to mould them into strong adults rather than break them entirely. It will be resolved in a a comfortable way. Yeah, and as we were saying a couple of weeks ago, there is a week-to-week catharsis in these stories. Right, yes. Yes, exactly. And and I would say that Lower Decks is that way too. Yeah, yeah. Not that Lower Decks is traumatic very often, but there is still that catharsis. It's more like a, a shame and embarrassment catharsis. <laughs> but that's valuable too. But it's too. there. It is very valuable. I truly hate that I have to say this, but maybe there is some value in episodic Star Trek. I've been saying for a couple of years that the people whinging that Discovery and Picard were serialised were just wrong and needed to get with the times, but now I completely understand the appeal and I think that I'm glad that we have room in the franchise for both. Right, so my position, as always, is all of the things. My position is always going to be both. Yes. Both and. I, I agree that people need to stop whining that Discovery and Picard isn't the way they want it to be because it's not going to change. Just get over it. Let it go. Move past things. That's another position I'm always on. (laughs) Move past things. But there is a difference between saying Discovery is never going to be this and you need to let it go and saying Star Trek is never going to be this and you need to let it go. Star Trek can be that. It can be all of the things. Which... It's just really great, and I'm so glad that we have these kids back and our purple sun is beating the Kobayashi Maru without even cheating. I love him so much. I think this episode was the perfect blend of fan service that doesn't go over the heads of new viewers. You know, using old characters and old dialogue from classic episodes was done adeptly enough that it didn't exclude people who don't know who those people are, and yet it was a wonderful gift 
and a way of honouring those actors. And at the same time, we have these great stories about Dahl taking the first steps towards becoming a proper leader while Gwyn starts to uncover the mystery of the protostar, which is linked to her own identity. It, it was just great. It balanced so many things, all in 24 minutes. In terms of fan service, and we can discuss the audio and the old characters in a minute, but just the idea of using the Kobayashi Maru in this way, and even using the holodeck in this way, it introduces these characters to those concepts while also being very, as you said, heartwarming for the fans who know of those concepts. I just really liked that it introduces the Kobayashi Maru that we, because we've seen Star Trek many, many times, mm. know that Dahl can't possibly win. And that's the point. But he doesn't know. And a new viewer wouldn't know. I just really like the gimmick of we're going to have something that is classic Star Trek. Yes. You know, at least... 50% of the movies are based on the idea of the Kobayashi Maru and the no-win scenario. Right. And there was even an episode in Discovery this season that was about the idea of the Kobayashi Maru. So it's indelible to Star Trek, but Dahl didn't know anything about it. Dahl didn't know about the Federation or mm. the, these characters at all. He didn't know who any of them were. He gave them his own names. And that was just really those two ideas being parallel and, and coming together in the end. That was the fan service that I was the most excited <laughs> for. Also, a cadet going into the Kobayashi Maru knows that it's an unwinnable scenario. Dahl went in totally blind, just like the new viewer. And I think that's wonderful. And I think, as you say, it's breaking down the implicit bias of the critiques that he is cocky because who else wins the Kobayashi Maru and Dahl doesn't even have to cheat. He just works right. really, really hard and brings his own perspective as an untrained teenage boy. Teenagers are the ultimate chaos agents. And, and so, as you say, I've blown up so many times I see now the only way out is chaos. Dahl is a Loki. <laughs> it's just it's the truth. I think all teenagers are trickster gods in their own way. Very true. I have heard this critique that Dahl is cocky, and I've heard it also about Michael Burnham, Rocky, mm -hmm. Musiker, and Beckett Mariner. Gosh. And I would like to point out that these four characters have something in common, and it's not cockiness. <laughs> yeah, this is something we ranted about a lot in the first part of our Prodigy coverage, and it's dismaying that fandom has leaned so far into this critique that they only apply to characters played by black performers. And I do think it is an implicit bias. I don't think, because I've heard this, I, I'm not talking about the dude bros here. No, like dude no. Bros I, I will never respect, but... I'm talking about friends of mine who I do respect, who I know are very invested in racial equity. Yes. Who are absolutely pro Black Lives Matter and yet still have this critique. 
about these characters and especially about Dahl. And Dahl is, again, a child. Yes, but I think our society is really afraid of black teenage boys. You know, in Mm -hmm. America, they get shot and killed. In Australia, they're murdered in other ways by the police. They're criminalised, they're racialised. There is this pervading cliché of the young black male troublemaker. And I think even if you don't know that Dahl is voiced by a young black man, I think it's apparent in his voice and in the way he moves. And Mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful that he's not deracialized, even though he's a purple alien. But it does mean that I think people are subconsciously leaning into some ugly ideas. Right. And you have to explicitly choose not to do that yeah. as a white person. And, yeah. I, and I say this as someone who I know that I have implicit biases. Like, oh, absolutely. I'm not saying that I am exempt from any of this. And also, like, I'll admit that I love a cocky character. Like, <laughs> a try-hard cocky character is my favorite. I, again, Loki. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's. I also know that I am biased towards him. But... I just appreciate that the show gave us this particular episode. It reminds me of my favorite Boimler moments with Saving All the Borg Babies. Yes! In that he was determined to win this, and he did it in his own way, and he figured it out, and he did save the people. He learned that saving the people was part of winning, and that's an important lesson. And I'm not angry with him for not wanting to save the people in the beginning because you said that, like, Hobayashi Maru cadets know that it's a no-win scenario. They also have had a class. (laughs) (laughs) They've had many classes in Starfleet Academy. They've grown up in the Federation. They know that the reason you join Starfleet is to save the people in the Kobayashi Maru. Dahl doesn't have any of that. He has a completely separate reality and background and so him learning that he has to care about people beyond himself and his crew is such an important lesson and he comes by it naturally and it becomes his instinct and I just think that that is beautiful and wonderful and we need to embrace it and not be mad at him as a character for any of his faults because all characters that are worthy have faults his morality has been forged in a slave camp and so yeah how can he be a proper little altruist if he has never been exposed to true altruism at this point he still doesn't trust the federation this reminds me of finn in the force awakens and the last jedi where he initially betrays the first order for legitimate reasons but essentially selfish ones he doesn't want to kill and then he joins the resistance out of loyalty to Rey and it takes his experience with Rose in The Last Jedi to understand the wider fight it's when he learns to fight for a cause not just a person that he cares about and just I'm just gonna as a Star Wars aficionado point out that people get mad at Finn for that also, mm-hmm. the same way they get mad at Dahl for his opinions and cockiness. And Finn has the exact same storyline as Han Solo. And everyone loves Han Solo. So it's like, what is the difference here? Let me think. Mm-hmm. 
again, we have to be wider in our thinking. We have to realize that black boys can be heroes and, in fact, are often And they don't have to start out as heroes. They can start out as ordinary, selfish kids doing their best and learning along the way. You know, we need to give them the same grace to fail and learn that we extend to white kids. It's called the hero's journey for a reason. (laughs) It's a journey. You don't just start out this way. No. Skywalker didn't start out this way. No. I know this is a rant that we have had before, but I just think it's worth flagging again that Dahl is learning and the people that he knows he respects and he has not yet learned to respect institutions and that's completely okay. This is a theme in Mm -hmm. Star Trek the series and also like tie-in novels and even fan fiction that someone has an encounter with Starfleet when they are a child and that is why they join it like Data in yes. fact, has this, you know, go all the way to the top, right? And Dahl hasn't had that either. No. No one, and not even just Starfleet or the Federation, but no one has come to save Dahl. He had to get out himself. So, of course he doesn't trust systems. Of course he doesn't think that there is anyone out in the universe who's going to come save him. No, no one did, and so why should he have to go save them? But again... It's not that he doesn't want to. It's not that he doesn't care about people. Dahl saved Gwyn last week, and he didn't want to even admit that because it would admit caring about someone. And caring about someone for Dahl is a weakness. That's showing weakness. And and where he saves someone, where he protects them, it's someone he already knows. And so, yeah, he has not yet learned to rescue the Kobayashi Maru. As he says, we don't know those people. Who are they? What do we owe them? And and like Eleanor Shellstrop in The Good Place, he is learning what we owe to each other. And frankly, I love that arc. I love it for Eleanor and I love it for Dahl. Right, exactly. That's why I like cocky characters. You have to start out as one thing in order to get to. Like, if you just are always altruistic and good, I don't want to watch that. Yeah. Great for people who do, but I don't. I mean, I guess they're probably happy. I can't even think of a story that is like that. If there is one, I haven't watched it. Maybe like Frodo. Okay, so I watched Good Sam, the new Jason Isaac, Sophia Bush medical drama. I have a lot of feelings about it. We're probably going to end up with a lot of digressions about it here. But I did kind of come out thinking, wow, Sam is so altruistic and unselfish and thoughtful. I really need her to be messier. Exactly. If someone starts out like that, you're waiting Mm. for them to have their dark arc, right? Yeah. Like, that's where I am at. I'm always waiting for them to have their dark arc. And when someone starts out as an asshole, I'm waiting for them to have their... It's not even a redemption arc. It's just, like, I've learned to care about people arc. Yes. (laughs) The the stop being an island arc, you know? (laughs) It's... And that's my favorite thing because I'm very pro community. And as much as I ranted about found family last week, I think it was last week. Might it was, before. I think um, it was recently. Anyway, and I agreed. recently I was ranting about found family. I also love found family and Tina's family and building. There was this line in this week's expanse where 
drummer said, I didn't love you for being a fighter. I, I loved you because you were a builder. I wanted yes. to build something. And it's like, yes, exactly. That's what I want in every relationship, regardless of if it's romantic or familial or friendship or crew members or whatever, it's building something, building the relationship, building the community, building a better world. Right. And that's the win scenario. <laughs> if you can do that, regardless of who dies and who lives, then that's what matters. And that's kind of what The Expanse was about this week, so good on them. A lot of The Expanse, the books and the series, is about that, and I love it for that. And I think that is what Dahl's arc so far has been. Every episode sees his community becoming a little bit larger and a little bit more abstract, so that, yeah, by the time that they encounter the Federation, he will understand their principles. And he may not want to join Starfleet as such, but he will be a person who Starfleet will be lucky to have. And so let's talk about Gwyn now and how yes. Gwyn had a parallel storyline in that she was learning how to care about people and she was learning how to care about herself, really. I didn't know that I needed Gwyn and Zero to have this relationship. No! I was so happy to get it. It was so wonderful to see. I loved that someone other than Dahl reached out to Gwyn. Brock Tech has a semi-soft spot for Gwyn in that she wants a friend. Yeah. But Zero, and we still don't know how old Zero is, and I'm not gonna call them a mentor, but they did have this sort of therapeutic, I'm going to help you, mm. you know, get to where you need to be position in this particular episode that I think only Zero could have done. Yes. Like, none of the other characters could have done that for Gwyn. Not even the Janeway hologram, because as we've discussed, the Janeway hologram is actually young and does not do everything either. No. Whereas Zero and... is definitely part of the older. Right. Even if Zero is a child, Medusin seems to be long-lived, and so they yeah. have the experience and all of those years, even if in their society they would be considered a child. Also, they were part of a hive mind, which means that they have had close mm -hmm. contact with the adults of their species, which is right. something new. We've learned something new about Medusins, and I love that, and I love to have a, a non-threatening hive mind as against the Borg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, they're reaching out towards Gwyn and offering her a place was really great. And I loved their repeated motif about understanding a language versus interpreting it. Yes. Because I think that's kind of a metaphor for fandom. And, you know, you might understand Star Trek, you might know the Technobabble and know what the Prime Directive is and the Kobayashi Maru, but how do you interpret Star Trek? Yes. I think this is such a complicated and sophisticated concept for a kid's show where another character is eating photon grenades. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I can't be angry at the whole Murph subplot because that was exactly that was necessary for the kids. Gotta get that, you know, weird kid humor mm -hmm. in somewhere. And so even though I, I have very little to say about Murph, Rock Talk, and poor Jenkum, I just really need Jenkum to like do anything to make me 
care about him. Maybe Jankum needs to do some engineering training courses with Geordie and Bailana. My main take on Murph is that, yes, as your note says, they're potentially indestructible, but also I reckon their ability to eat photon grenades is going to be important later. Yes, I was going to say, that was yeah. obviously yeah. included for a future episode where the fact that Murph can eat and save anything is is going to be important in some way. The fact that Murph can potentially transform things by eating them. Mm. There's a lot of ways it could go, but it, it's definitely like, this was a humorous subplot that is a breadcrumb for a later adventure. Yes, whereas Gwyn's subplot in terms of learning about the protostar and the flashback to her creation all of that stuff is really interesting and potentially really really dark <laughs> also a little timey-wimey you're just like really really dark you sounded very excited about it it was Clearly something is going on with time. That's all over the internet. I will admit that I didn't even notice, but I believe everybody. <laughs> I watched the episode and I'm like, oh, that's great. And then I have my shower and I think about it. And just as I was soaping up, I was like, wait, if Gwyn was created 17 years ago and the Divider was already looking for the protostar then, but that's like next generation era. And then I had a look and Trekcore had looked at that star date they gave and placed it around the time of the episode Sarek. So Janeway is not even a captain at that point in the timeline, <laughs> let alone a decorated captain who has been lost in the Delta Quadrant and come back. So, yeah, that's yeah. really interesting to me. I mean, I have always felt that the protostar is, even if it is a prototype, it still seems super powerful. Yeah. And also, even just Janeway as the hologram, it's sort of like, okay, Captain Janeway is the hologram, but it's only been five years. Yeah. And I feel like that would be at least a decade kind of thing. It seems very fast for even that little tiny part. So I... Absolutely believe in the time travel. Yeah. I remember back in the episode where they land on the planet and she hands out the tricorders. I was like, wow, that tech is so far advanced. Even compared to Star Trek Picard, I reckon this is set around the same time, like 2399. And we didn't get a great look at Captain Chakotay, but he looked... But he looks older. Yeah, he looks more like Robert Beltran now than now. five years after Voyager ended. So I think right. the protostar is a prototype from the future, which has been thrown back into the past and lost. And now I'm like, is there like a second Chakotay out there in the Delta Quadrant? Is he like, <laughs> really? This again? So I really want to know all about this and all about the sort of messed up relationship between Captain Chakotay and Hollow Janeway. Which is our Hollow Janeway. Now it's going to get so confusing so quickly. Mm -hmm. But our Hollow Janeway was like, oh, I, this is the first crew I've ever had. And I was just like, oh, now we're really going into the Doctor parallels and it's becoming very crazy. I'm just so excited. But the fact that Captain Chicote of the future has a Hollow Janeway. <laughs> 
Because she looks identical to Hollow Janeway. It's not like Janeway. That's not No, no. Our Admiral Janeway. She looks nothing like Admiral Janeway because we know what Admiral Janeway looks like. Now that people have clued me into the time travel, I'm like, whoa, this is going to be amazing. And it's also like we know time travel is a part of Star Trek Picard. Mm. And we know that, I mean, okay, we think that the whole Q continuum disappearing in Discovery is also really, it's like, this is still a shared universe. Even though there are different time periods, it still is a shared universe. And I really think that these shows are still going to be connected in, in at least small ways. Maybe Prodigy is where we'll see the end of the Temporal Cold War storyline. Oh my gosh. I just pictured the design for a Prodigy-style archer, and it would be so great. They haven't done anything with Enterprise yet in Prodigy, and they have done stuff with Enterprise in discovery mm. multiple times at this yeah. point. What I mean by that is that they're not saying Enterprise doesn't matter because it does matter in certain places. So I really think that even though these shows, again, they have completely different showrunners, they have completely different uh, audiences and purposes, I still think that in the end, they are going to be connected. Absolutely. And I just want to say that I saw a comment in the Trek Core review complaining about a secret plot to keep Deep Space Nine out of current continuity, and Odo was right there. Like, what are they talking about? I Odo was know. literally in this episode. I don't know. And, and, and the thing is that Odo was even, like, okay, so let's talk about how Dahl gives them all little... Nicknames. nicknames, right? Yes. And Odo's is Jellyman. And of course, if you spend whatever, like 80 <laughs> hollow, <laughs> hollow, you know, 10 minute periods with Odo, you learn who Odo is. But the fact that he calls him Jellyman means that he knows what Odo is. He knows what Odo does. He gets Odo stuff, right? Yeah. So it's like, it wasn't just... Odo showing up and being like, hey, I'm Odo. It was also Odo and Dahl had a relationship that we maybe we didn't get to see, but it exists. Oh my so, god, oh my god, oh my god. It just Odo to me. has mentored Dahl in a small way, <laughs> you know? Like, they're not ignoring Deep Space Nine. No, but also it just occurred to me that at the beginning of the episode they have left the Delta Quadrant and they're now in the Gamma Quadrant. Maybe yeah. Dahl will meet the founders. Right. I clocked that right away. As soon as they were like, they're in the Gamma Quadrant, I was like, oh, 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 I know what's in the Gamma Quadrant. <laughs> because they could have picked any quadrant, right? Like, Well, I think they want to keep them away from the Federation. So that's the Alpha and Beta. So it can't be Alpha. Star Trek Picard, one of their tech guys had a really great map that they had made for the show. And it showed a rough outline of where everyone is in the late 24th century. And... You've got the Klingon Empire and the former Romulan Empire in the Beta Quadrant, and then the Federation right. is sort of circling around them. And I'm like, guys, maybe you'd be on better terms with everyone if you were not an expansionist empire. Another thing I want to talk about and bring up. Wait, okay, so like, you just said something important, and my mind wandered in the middle of it. <laughs> so now I'm going to talk about that. Please. But... The Kobayashi Maru hasn't... Okay, so they're on the Next Generation bridge, mm -hmm. right? And they have people from different eras. They have Beverly Crusher and Odo from 90s Trek, right? Yes. Where 
we were getting along with the Klingons. And eventually we get along with the Romulans. So why hasn't this program been why updated? Why hasn't the Kobayashi Maru updated from when the Klingons were the bad guys and the Romulan neutral zone was even a thing? Because in Picard era, which we're not in, but if the Protostar is from there, we're in. The Romulan neutral zone doesn't exist because Romulus doesn't exist. And Romulans as a culture are scattered. So yeah, it's weird to me. It's like, why? Why are we there? I assumed that was just because the Kobayashi Maru test itself was such a perfect recreation of the one we saw in Star Trek 2. But what if this time period is another period of tension between the Federation and the Klingons. Ooh. Interesting. I mean, yes, obviously, it had to be the Kobayashi Maru that we know mm. in order for the dialogue to make sense, in order for the connections that I was discussing earlier, and which I love, to make sense. It has to be the Kobayashi Maru that we know. But I still think it's weird. Why does Rillick talk about the Kobayashi Maru like she knows it, and it's like, okay, but... Is it still Klingons? Is the <laughs> it really shouldn't be in far future discovery time. It should really not be the Klingons are the bad guys. Like, it I mean, shouldn't. by that point in the future, it really should be some alien we made up so no one is offended. But I exactly. could see like late 24th century it being the Tholians or the Cardassians or someone other than the guys who have been our allies for 80 years. Exactly. It's a little bit weird yes. for me. But I, th I also think this question is deep, deep, deep down the rabbit hole of nerdishness. Oh, absolutely. I don't think that it matters to Prodigy. <laughs> I, I, I will accept that Prodigy did it for the meta reasons of we wanted to reuse this dialogue and we wanted to reuse this idea. Yes. And I, again, I really liked that. I love, I loved, I cannot even like, I was practically crying when Dahl brings up the ACDC song and then yes. it was very, you know, Kelvin verse Jim Kirk energy and I was super into it. And then he still fails, but he and Spock beam over to the Klingon ship and take him down, basically. That was so rewarding because the Spock hologram was totally on board with that plan. The Spock hologram was like, yes, we are going to beam over and then I'm going to destroy them all with his, you know, magic fingers or whatever. I really appreciated that the Spock hologram was so into that because of course Spock would be into that, but we forget. We forget that young Spock fully believes in Jim Kirk to such a point that he will follow his ridiculous plans. Absolutely. That was my favorite Spock moment because it was this, like, I fully believe in my crew moment. Again, like this whole mm. community building idea. And I just, I just really liked it. I truly love that they chose to use archive audio of Nichelle Nichols and Leonard Nimoy when they could have had Celia R. Gooding and Ethan Peck doing new dialogue and, you know, synergy and promoting strange new worlds and a sneak peek. I think that would have been fine, but I think to 
go with the archive footage, even though through my headphones it did sound very different to the contemporary recorded dialogue. I think that was yeah, just such so... a great way of honouring those performers. I completely agree. I absolutely believe they made the right choice in using that dialogue, and I love the gimmick. Yes. But it did as sound someone different. who has very strong auditory like learning mm-hmm. feelings, it was very difficult to me when specifically Spock. Uh, Uhura and Scotty were fine because they didn't have as much to say. Yeah. And Odo. And Odo was also fine. But Spock literally would have three sentences in a row that were completely different audio recordings and completely Mm. different, like, this one's from TOS and this one's from The Undiscovered Country and this one's from Next Generation. It's like, okay, there's like 30 years of difference in between each of these things. And it didn't mesh. It pulled me out a little bit because I was... It was a little jarring, I guess. No, same. I could hear the difference, and I am nerdy enough that I could recognise the sources of a lot of the dialogue. I do think that if I had not been listening with headphones, and if I was not already familiar with Star Trek, it wouldn't have jumped out at me that much. I I will say I was not listening with headphones. I was watching on my regular television, and it jumped out at me a lot. But I am obviously very... Familiar with Star Trek. I'm familiar <laughs> yes. with Leonard Nimoy. I'm rewatching Fringe, as I discussed, and Leonard Nimoy has shown up, and it's weird. But at the same time, like, okay, so they had that part at the very end where Spock says, You remind me of another captain of the Enterprise. Yes. And that's from Unification. Unification. And he's talking to Picard and he's talking about Kirk. And so, like, in that moment, like you, I knew exactly where it was from, mm. but it was also like, oh, wow, this means that he's saying it to Dahl and he means both Kirk and Picard. Yeah. Because he knew both of them. And this is another point where I almost started crying because I was just so happy that Spock was telling Dahl that. It was so beautiful and yeah, amazing to me. And I wouldn't have had that without the Leonard Nimoy dialogue. So again, I absolutely think it was the right choice. It was just, a, it's a little, and I've done that. Like I make fan videos and I record audio and it is really hard to mix oh, yeah. two audio. It's very, very hard. They did amazing for what they had to do. This is not a ding on anyone on the production team. No. I think that they did great I think that also, the more I rewatch this episode, and I'm definitely going to, I feel like I will no longer be listening to the audio. I'll be listening to the words. Yes. It's sort of like with Gwyn and the interpretation. It's like I no longer have to be paying attention to how it's being said because I know how it's being said and I can just enjoy the story and enjoy mm. the experience. I also want to flag that the only person who did record new dialogue was Gates McFadden, and it's so great to have her back. Protostar's holodeck gave her the best hair of Beverly's career, and also it's so good to have Beverly Crusher as the voice of why the hell are we not rescuing these people, what the fuck is wrong with you, Captain? Because that was so often her role in The Next Generation, and it's so easily overlooked. I just want to say that because Dahl didn't, neither Dahl nor Jankum chose these characters, the computer chose these characters, yeah. and I love the idea that 
Beverly Crusher was the best doctor for this job because absolutely she was. She yes. has been in command. She has been the person who, as you say, stands up to the captain and says, no, you're doing this wrong. That is her role in the series. And also, though it doesn't come up in the story, she has also been the parent to a teenage boy. And I can't yes, think of two exactly. teenage boys more different than Wesley and Dahl. But at the same time, he doesn't know that she is a parent. But to us, the knowing audience member, that's another layer of And also, oh my gosh, I have been waiting forever for anyone to throw Geese McFan a bone. And I know! So so happy to see this it was beautiful and also i will just gonna put this right out there that i 100,000 percent ship hollow janeway and hollow crusher because <laughs> janeway and crusher are like my secret niche sheep mm -hmm. <laughs> so i can imagine the like computer algorithm going on in the background with the hologram when the hollow deck is off and they're still going though in my world, they're still going. Obviously, the only entity for Hollow Janeway, as far as I'm concerned, is Zora. But she has a thousand years to wait for Zora, and a hologram can get lonely. So I'm into it. And I agree with you about the hair, and I also love that they had grey strands. Yes. Another, like, I'm crying moment. Because it was like, we are going to acknowledge that this woman ages. Yeah. And is still 100% awesome and a badass and the best person for this job. And it does make me think again that the appearance of Captain Chakotay in that hologram was intentional. I don't think that much happens in this show that isn't intentional because that's not how animation works. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I was just so happy. I was so happy. In our last couple of minutes, let's shout out Janeway's terrible hollow novel. Oh my goodness. I, I love that they did that. I loved all of the options, like Dracula. Yes. So good. So good, Dracula. That would be the one I would choose. But also, you know, City Alpha 5 and like everything. It was all great. But the fact that, first of all, they finally admitted that it was Jane Eyre. Yes, like, and as a person you. who has read Jane Eyre and loves that novel very much, this is not Jane Eyre. But whatever, go <laughs> off, guys. It was definitely Jane Eyre-inspired. I mean, it was obvious in Voyager. Yeah, but Jane Eyre is good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote in the notes, terrible, because yes. I complained about that hollow novel all the time. I hate that hollow novel. I hate it because... It's basically saying that in her off time, Janeway wants to be dominated and told what to mm. do and doesn't want to be in charge. And I am super not into that. Just not my thing. I don't like that. I don't like that characterization of Janeway. It felt like the use of romance novels and romance tropes, not as an intentional character point, but because hashtag that's what ladies do. Exactly. Exactly. It was super stereotypical yeah whereas a few seasons later we learn that Baylana is into romance novels and that actually made sense as a character beat for her right yeah you know yeah. i mean obviously we've said many times voyager is not great with janeway continuity or janeway characterization it's okay because they still accidentally made an amazing character 
And they really did a wonderful parody of that Holler novel here. Yes! It was so good! I went back and listened to the dialogue that everyone was talking over, and it was so funny. It was just the most amazing parody of bad 90s gothic novel they, pastiche. They had the, the, the Janeway Hollow, like, say, this is my favourite, and I just, I wanted, again, I was just so happy. The important thing is that it wasn't Fairhaven. I just loved it. I loved it. I also loved the moment where Hollow Jane was like, I need coffee for this. I know. That is going to be a gift that I use very frequently. My final note before we wrap up is that one of the options that Dahl and Jankum scroll through is Deadwood, and that is the name of the holonovel novel in A Fistful of Datas, so canonical trek, but they have used the logo of Deadwood, the HBO series, which for some unknown reason is on Paramount Plus in Australia, and... I watched it last year and it was genuinely amazing. I loved it and I really enjoyed that shout out and the mental image I just had of these teenage boys being dropped in a, a colonialist hellscape where everyone is shouting swear words at them. I think I've seen like music videos of Deadwood, but I haven't seen actual Deadwood. <laughs> it's very, very good. It's one of those things that people have told me to watch and I, I just like I missed it when it was on mm. and so I just haven't gone. But, you know, I have HBO so I should give it a try. It's definitely worth a look. It's not something that I would automatically think of you when I was recommending mm. shows. But at the same time, I know you love The Mandalorian and not just because some of the same actors go on to be in The Mandalorian, but the overall feel and dialogue of it is very Mandalorian-esque. Mm. It definitely right. left me feeling like I should be watching more westerns. Okay, okay. Thank you for listening <laughs> to AntimatterPod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr, all at AntimatterPod, and write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. We're recording our 100th episode in just two weeks, and we want to give you a gift for listening. Leave a review and let us know by email or social media, and we have a little bit of a giveaway. And join us next week when we'll be discussing the next episode of Star Trek Prodigy, First Con... Tapped. Oh, is this going to be a Ferengi episode?